Who among us in this room doesn't like home? Home. There's something special about that word, home. I don't know about your house, but especially the men, the ladies, the women here, probably most of you at your house, you have your chair. (laughs) Y'all know what I mean? Your spot. (laughs) And even if the youngins are sitting there, especially if the pet is sitting there, you run the pet away. Get up out of my chair. It's my chair. This is my home. This is, I feel at home. This is my home. There's something comforting about home, isn't there? Something special about home. You say, preacher, if you sit there long enough, you're going to go to sleep. There's something welcoming about home. I love homecomings. I love family gatherings. Probably last week, what happened at my house happened at yours. I had family members, my sister and her family that came from Zebulon to our house for Thanksgiving. And my boys, is Aunt Tracy here yet? Is Aunt Tracy left yet? They know how long it takes for Aunt Tracy to get here to our house from where she lives. Numerous times, they went out on the front porch. See if Aunt Tracy was in the driveway. Looking for folks to come home. You do that with siblings. You do that with parents. You do that with children. And you especially do it for grandchildren. There's something special about home. Coming home. You've been away a long time. Now you're coming home. You have, a, you have a family member, a kin, it's been gone. I love the military homecomings that they show, the surprise homecomings. <laughs> the mom or dad or spouse, the wife, the children, they're not anticipating it, and boom, there's the loved one. Their first reaction is shock. Then it goes from shock to joy to just pure, flat-out, raw emotion. There's tears. There's such happiness. It just flows out, just flows out. Sometimes even hometowns will have a special homecoming, especially for military men and women. The smaller the town, it seems like the more special it is. And they hear word that so-and-so is coming home. Saw something recently where one young man returning from active deployment, he came home and it wasn't just his family, it was the whole town that welcomed him home. Welcome home. Their favorite son is coming back. Special. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. It tells us about what should have been the homecoming of Israel's favorite son. One of their own. 
Jesus, the Messiah, God's son. He was coming home. In fact, that's what the word says here. Would you look in verse 10 of John chapter 1? The Bible says, he was in the world. And even though or the world was made by him, the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice verse 11, particularly what it says. He came unto his own. Stop right there. He came unto his own. He came unto his own people. One Greek scholar says that literally that means that Jesus came, if I could say it this way, Jesus came home. His own people, his own kin, his own flesh and blood, Jesus came home to the very people that should have welcomed him with open arms. They should have thrown the parade. They should have bowed down. They should have gone over the top in a welcome home celebration for Jesus. But ladies and gentlemen, you fast forward 33 years and here's how they welcomed him. They sent him to a cross. That was their homecoming. You see, I love the phrase, home for Christmas. Jesus, at Christmas, came home. He who was God in eternity past, and God became flesh into this world, entered this world through the womb of a woman. Born as a Jew. Human flesh human body entered this world as a man 100% man 100% God came to his own people the Jews that same group that had had the prophecy for centuries the Lord had made it so plain man he made it so plain how in the world did they miss it they were looking for something else they They were looking for Jesus to be an earthly king and to drive out the Romans. And we've talked about that exhaustively. And when he showed up as a baby, when he was born into the home of a carpenter, (laughs) when he lived really most of his adult life in obscurity, he really didn't come on the scene until age 30. Especially being from Nazareth. He wasn't wasn't from Jerusalem. (laughs) He wasn't from the royal city. He was from Nazareth. He was a country boy. Amen for all the country boys, right? He wasn't a city slicker. He knew what it was to have calluses on his hands. Can I say it this way? He looked normal. If you were picking Jesus out of a crowd, out of a lineup, you wouldn't be able to do it. He looked just like you and just like me. 
well. Probably not like you or me. He, he was Jewish. He had probably dark hair, darker complexion than most of us in this room. He looked like the average Jewish man. He was one of them. And the Bible says he came home. And they didn't receive him. We notice in the passage, first of all, what I call the woeful rejection. The Bible says he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. The very ones who should have been the first in line to receive him were the first in line to reject him. We notice that he wasn't recognized as Lord. They didn't recognize grown-up Jesus as the Lord that he was. It says the world knew him not. The world he was born into. You say, yeah, that's that's the Gentile world. That's the heathen world, the pagan world. No, it really means his own world, the, the Jewish world. They didn't recognize him for what he was. They didn't recognize him as Lord. It says they knew him not. They couldn't discern him. They didn't know him. They couldn't detect that he was God in the flesh. So he wasn't recognized as Lord. Then it goes on to say he wasn't respected as Lord. Remember what the officials of the Jews said? Oh, this man's mad. He's insane. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. And then others said, he's not crazy, he has demons in him. He's the prince of the devils. He's Beelzebub. He worships Satan. They didn't respect him as Lord. In fact, they weren't just neutral, they were against him. We've seen this all through the Gospel of John. Every time you turned around, the Jewish officials were standing toe-to-toe opposing him every chance they could wasn't only friend that he wasn't recognized as Lord. I mean, they just totally missed it. But he wasn't even respected as Lord. The only one worthy of respect and true obedience is God. They didn't pay him any attention. In fact, not only did they not esteem him, they disesteemed him. Flat out rejected. He wasn't recognized as Lord. He wasn't respected as Lord. And then we know he wasn't received as Lord. (laughs) Open arms? No. Not by most. Most turned him away and rejected him. He came into his own. He came home. He came to his own people. Even his own flesh and blood siblings didn't receive respect recognize in fact none of them became believers until after the resurrection even his own mother at times and certainly Joseph mis- totally misunderstood or at times misunderstood who he was and what he was about we see that in Luke chapter 1 where Jesus as a 12 year old boy was left behind in the temple and Mary and his stepfather Joseph end up blaming Jesus For him being left behind. I don't think they even got it completely. That's the woeful rejection. But verse 12 tells us about, and I love this, the welcomed reception. It says, but... 
To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Thank God there were those in that day, and there are those in this day who do receive him. They give Jesus a welcome reception to as many as did receive him. There were some that did. And to those that did, he gave them the power to become his children. And I'm glad this morning that he gives us the power to be his children. I'm glad that it's not based on race. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on finances. It's not based on nationality. Listen, it's based on are you a human being with a never dying soul? Absolutely. Then you're a candidate for the grace of God. And Jesus today has come to your house and he's come to your heart house and he's come to your life and he wants you to open up the door of your life like you'd open the front door of your house. Too often today, many, many leave Jesus standing on the porch. And you're talking to him through the door. (laughs) Yeah, what is it? Who is it? Well, it's Jesus. What do you want? I paid at the office. Nobody ever says that anymore, do they? Right? Charge it to my credit card, whatever. We don't even want to open the door and talk to him. But there are those that do open the door. And they do receive him. And when they receive Jesus into their life, when they say yes to him, he's already said yes to you. And when you open that door, he comes in and he makes you a new creature. And that brings us to our third thought this morning, the wonderful redemption. I love verse 13 because it ties in beautifully with verse 12. Verse 12 talks about those that did say yes to Jesus and he gave them the authority and the ability to become the sons of God, the children of God, the daughters of God. And then it tells us how even those who believe on his name. Simple faith. Mark 1, 15 says to repent and believe the gospel. Turn away from your unbelief. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your self-sufficiency and believe in Christ. Trust completely, fully, finally in Jesus Christ. Friend, he is all you need and he's the only one you need. He's the only one that can do for you that that you need done for you. And when you do, say yes to him. The Bible says he receives you and he redeems you. And verse 13 is very interesting. It tells us basically how it is that we encounter or experience this new birth. How do we receive Jesus? Well, it tells us. It says, verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Now the concept of the new birth is introduced to us here for the first time in the Gospel of John. It's elaborated upon more fully and expanded upon in chapter 3 as Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus. Remember and he says, twice you must be born again. So verse 13 outlines for us how a person comes to faith in Christ. First of all, we notice it's not by human bloodline. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says it's not of blood. Now listen, gang, he's not speaking of the blood of Christ, okay? 
He's speaking of a human blood. He's speaking of human stock or human birth. A human bloodline. See, a person doesn't naturally become a Christian. A person supernaturally becomes a Christian through the new birth and faith in Christ. It has nothing to do with family. My dear friend, your parents may be Christians. That doesn't mean you are. Your grandparents may be Christians. That doesn't mean that you are. And someone aptly said once that God has children, but God doesn't have grandchildren. You see, salvation is a personal thing. It's not something you inherit from your parents or grandparents. It's not something that happens just because you're a member of a church. No, it has nothing to do with family. It has nothing to do with your nationality. And I say this again, down with the notion that God favors America because we're Americans. Now, I'm a proud, grateful American patriot, just like you. You understand God doesn't owe America anything. He doesn't. You're like, he doesn't. Show it to me in the Bible. I've heard some people say that God blesses America because America is predominantly white. I even shudder and quake to even say that out loud. That is utter blasphemy. And I say this to you in love. If you don't like that or you think I'm wrong, my friend, please investigate the scripture. And if you still hold to that after a thorough investigation of scripture, my friend, you need to be born again. God doesn't bless America because we're white. God blesses America because he's good and he's chosen to have mercy on us. Because right now, as America is, we don't have any blessing ground to stand on, I'm afraid. Being a Christian has nothing to do with being an American. It has nothing to do with nationality. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. You see, Romans 2, verse 28 and 29 says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew, speaking of a true Jew, that has that relationship with God, which is one inwardly in the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. So he says, listen, I want you to know you're not saved. You don't become a Christian because of human bloodline. Then he says, he tells us, you don't become a Christian. It's not by human initiative. He says, it's not of blood, nor is it of the will of the flesh. This refers to personal man-generated desire. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I came to God because I wanted to. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you don't. John 6, says, listen to what Jesus said. No man comes to me, to Jesus Except the Father draws him. We don't come to God when we want to. We don't come to God on our own terms. We don't come to God just because we want to. If you want to come to God, thank the Lord. It's because he first sought you out and put that desire in your heart to come to God. 
Well, I'll get saved when I want to. No, you won't. I'll get saved on my own terms. No, you won't, friend. Well, I tell you what, Lord's speaking to me right now, but I'll put him off, I'll put him off, I'll put him off, and then when I get good and ready, then I'll come to Jesus. Friend, listen, I love you. It doesn't work that way. And I tell you the truth. I, I, I tell you the truth because I love you. It doesn't work that way. That's not biblical theology. You come to Jesus because the Holy Ghost of God the wooing and prompting of the Father moves upon your heart to come to Christ. We come to the Father when He draws us. If any of us has an inclination to want to know God more fully, it's because He's the one right now seeking us out. So thank God, by the way, as a Christian when He does that for you. He says, it's not by human bloodline, it's not by human initiative. And then he says, it's not by human effort. He says, nor is it by the will of man. It's not a man-made system. It's not a system of good works. It's not a system of personal righteousness. It's not how I used to think it was or understand it. It's not the, the old-fashioned, my good and my bad my good outweighs my bad on the scales of human effort. It's not that. Well, I messed up, so I've got to do one good thing to, out, to counteract the bad. No, no, no. Remember what Isaiah said, that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. My effort and righteousness compared to his looks completely filthy and insufficient for covering. That's why when we come to Jesus, gang, we don't come with anything in our hands. We come to him simply as we are, and we trust in his righteousness. Now listen carefully, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Listen to what your precious Bible says. For by grace are you saved, by grace, through faith. Is that what your Bible says? It does not say through your human effort you have to do this, you have to do that, and you have to mount up all your good works in a pile and bring all those things to Jesus and boom, set them down in front of you. No, 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 no. He said it's by His grace and His mercy. That's it. Not good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. It's not of works. Oh, I joined the church. Oh, I'm so glad you joined the church. But you can join every church in Wayne County and still not be saved. Well, I was baptized. Thank the Lord for people that follow Christ and believers' baptism. But you can be baptized and not be saved. Oh, I take the Lord's Supper. I'm so glad you take the Lord's Supper. But if you take the Lord's Supper, all that means is you took the Lord's Supper. That does not mean that you're born again or saved. Preacher, did you see the check I wrote and dropped in the offering this morning? No, sir, I never see anybody's check that they put in the offering. But it doesn't matter if it's one dollar or a billion. Your money and mine will not gain us any more favor with God the Father. My dear precious friend, we only gain favor with God the Father. Look at me. Because we come to him on the merits of his precious son, Jesus Christ alone. That's it. 
and what he has already done, D-O-N-E, done for us. Like, preacher, I know the gospel. We know the gospel. Why are you preaching the gospel to me and to us today? Can I remind you something, my dear friend? If you're a born-again believer, you ought to never get over hearing the gospel and being thrilled by it. And if I'm boring you to tears or to sleep this morning, I don't apologize for that. There are far better preachers in this world, but they'll never preach a better gospel than the one you're hearing right now. Because it's the same gospel. And it thrills my soul to tell you again and again and again. He says it's not our work. Titus 3.5 is very clear about that too. It's not of works of righteousness which we've done, but it's according to his mercy. He saved us. So preacher, if we're not saved through our bloodline and we're not saved through our own initiative and we're not saved through our own human effort, how in the world are we saved? Well, he tells us here, he says it's by God's choice and God's work. He said it's of God. What he means is this, it's real simple, all right? It means God fully provided salvation for us and he puts all of us today in the perfect position to receive it. What else do you have to do to be saved? What, what more is there for you? You need to be more convinced. <laughs> Does Jesus have to die again? Does he have to shed any more blood? No. It comes down to your choice. To receive him. Or to slam the door and reject him. He's done everything necessary to bring salvation to you. While I'm talking this morning, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your conscience, speaking to your heart. And you know what He's been telling you? Let me in. Give me your life. Open up that door and let me have my rightful place as Lord. What's the takeaway, preacher? Let me give you three things. We're going to pray. Now don't shut me down. If you're still with me this morning, say amen. amen. Takeaway number one. Here's a question. I want you to answer it honestly before the Lord. Is Jesus at home in your heart? I didn't say in your head. Who was it recently? We had a testimony service last week for Thanksgiving. And somebody stood right here and they said, I had it up here but it needed to go right here. Right? Is Jesus at home in your heart? Does he live in your life? I mean, seriously now. I'm not trying to be cute. Is Jesus really, is Jesus a reality to you? Or is he someone that you hear about, someone you think about, someone that seems distant, but you don't know him? He's an acquaintance at a distance. But he's not your father. He's not your Lord. I'm asking you today, is Jesus at home in your life, in your heart? If he's not, my dear friend, he can be. He can be. 
you know what this church service is about? It's about him and you and me getting in contact and in right relationship with him. I appreciate the lights. It's not about the lights. I appreciate everything that's gone on this morning. It's not about those things. It's about that one thing I just told you. That's what Christmas is about. And the whole point of our series this month, a December to remember, you know why we're calling it that? Because I want to let you know this morning, I want you to remember to welcome Him home. Does He have a spot in your heart? Have you made provision? Have you welcomed Jesus home to His... Have you gotten out of the chair? Is he at home in your heart? Question number two. Is Jesus at home in your home? (laughs) Is Jesus really welcome in your home, in your family? Does he feel at place there? Does he feel at peace there? Or is he grieved with some things that you've allowed in your family? Some practices, some things that go on at your house. Some attitudes and spirit and talk. Some television that's not right. Some things that go on. The anger, the wrath, the shouting, the unpleasantness. Some habits that you do at your house in private. That you think nobody else knows about. Jesus at home, at your home. Every married couple and every parent in this room ought to be asking that question right now. Then the final question is Jesus at home in your everyday life. (laughs) Can I tell you honestly, honestly, what we have too much of in America? We have too many... Sunday only Christians. We got too many Sunday only saints. Friend, if you're a Sunday only saint, I would highly question and evaluate if I even was a saint. There are no part time Christians. You're either in or out. In or out. We got too many Sunday only saints in Wayne County. I'm afraid Faith Church has too many Sunday only saints. Jesus feels at home on Sunday. That's about the only time he feels at home in your life. Friend, Jesus wants to fill at home in Christian Powell's life Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every single day of the week. So you can't put Jesus on a shelf Monday through Saturday and get him off and dust him out. (laughs) Get him out and dust him off. He's not an idol. Okay. He's Lord or he's not. 
You let him call the shots. You let him have his way. Or he's not Lord of your life. I told you all ago, I loved homecomings. I've watched these homecomings for soldiers. And I want you to get the picture. Sometimes it happens at a port. Sometimes it happens at an airport. Sometimes it happens on base, on post. And the soldiers will come back and they'll enter the building, a certain building, or sometimes it's out in the open. And they'll be in formation and they'll come. And the last thing they do, they'll assemble. And there's a certain line, a certain barrier where all the friends and family have gathered. And they can't cross that yet. Some of you have lived this, right? And the soldiers as they're coming, the airmen, the sailors, the marines, as they're in formation, they're marching in, they're coming. And they're standing there, and so their, their commanding officer was about to give them that last bit of instruction. To turn them loose. And I mean, I can only imagine they're just, they're chomping at the bit. <laughs> hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And they look out and they're scanning the crowd, right? They're scanning the crowd to see if they see a familiar face, a spouse, a parent, a child, a sibling. And now, now, all these folks are standing here looking pointing out their soldier, pointing out their airman, pointing out their marine, pointing out their sailor. And they have different signs. One of the signs reads, His eyes are blue, his boots are black. Out of my way, my son is back. One of the signs is held by a little blonde-headed girl. And it says, Over here, Daddy, I've waited nine months for this hug. One of the signs is held by a wife who's put on her best dress and she looks like a million bucks because her soldier's coming home. And her sign reads, Welcome to the rest of our lives. Jesus wants to come home with you today. And I'd love to stand there and hold up the sign to Jesus that says, Lori, welcome to the rest of my life. Will you tell him that today? Welcome to the rest of my life. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my heart. Welcome to my family and my home. Welcome to my week. Welcome to my job. Welcome to my private world. 